Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. Today, we talk with Stefano De Clara, the head of Secretariat at the International Carbon Action Partnership, or ICAP. A few months ago, ICAP released its 10th annual update on emissions trading around the world. And in today's episode, Stefano will walk us through some of the biggest developments from carbon markets in Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Americas. As we discuss, although the last few years have been rocky for global energy markets, carbon markets have proven to be quite resilient and are increasingly being used to help cities, states, and nations around the world achieve their climate goals. Stefano will break it all down in this week's episode. Stay with us. Stefano De Clara from the International Carbon Action Partnership. Welcome back to Resources Radio. It's great to have you again. Thanks. It's uh, always a pleasure to, to be here. So, Stefano, as uh, many of our listeners know, we talk just about every year. Uh, in the last couple of years, it's been with you, and previously it was with uh, some of your colleagues, about a report that uh, you put together each year on emissions trading systems around the world. Uh, and that term, ETS, emissions trading system, is one that we're going to use a lot today. Uh, the report is such a valuable summary, at least for, from my perspective, of trends in ETSs around the world, what's been happening, uh, and you know, really getting into some of the detail of policy design uh, and also lessons learned over time. So it's a great resource. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. I hope people will check it out. Uh, and we're going to be talking about some of the um, some of the key findings from the report today. Does that sound good? Do you want to add any additional context? No, it uh, it all sounds good. Um, again, um, it is a uh, a yearly report that uh, takes stock of uh, what happens in the uh, in DTS uh, space. So, just for clarity, we look specifically at uh, compliance uh, emission trading systems, which is a subset of the broader you know carbon pricing uh, landscape. And um, as you said, we also value it as uh, you know an opportunity like a yearly uh, point at which we can uh, pause for a second and uh, and take stock of uh, what happened over the last uh, 12 months. So yeah, I'm more than happy to to dive into the latest report with uh, with you. Excellent. And because we've had you on the show before, we're going to skip our usual get to know you question and dive right into the substance. Also because we have tons of ground to cover. So um so can you get us started by giving us a sense of the scale and scope of emissions trading programs around the world? Like how many people live in regions with an ETS? What proportion of global CO2 emissions are covered and, and other relevant stats like that? Yeah, sure. And um, so starting from the uh, from the bare uh, numbers, like as of uh, today, we do have uh, 29 uh, different uh, emission trading systems in force as of uh, as of now. Uh, with about uh, 20 more, uh, either under development or under consideration in different parts of, uh, of the world. And if you look at, uh, you know, DTS map as a whole, uh, emission systems either under development, uh, under consideration, or already enforced really span the other globe and, uh, and all uh, continents. Uh, more or less one third of uh, of the global uh, population lives under uh, NETS in uh, in force at, at the moment. Um, in terms of uh, you know share of uh, global emissions covered, uh, about seventeen or just over seventeen percent of global emissions are currently under a uh, NETS cap, and um, jurisdictions accounting for roughly fifty five percent of uh, of the global GDP are uh, using uh, an emission trading system to cover parts of, uh, of their economy. 
Yeah, and that summary information is captured really nicely, as it is each year with some infographics that start on page 28 um, or maybe 27 that, that people can check out uh, on the report. I just point you to some really great maps and, and infographics sort of helping to to understand the scale and scope of these programs. When you look over the last uh, year or so, are there any big picture trends that stand out to you that um, kind of carry across all the different programs that you look at? Yeah, uh, sure. And again, um, as I as I mentioned earlier, the the status report is always a uh, a nice uh, stock taking opportunity. And uh, this year edition was uh, even more so, mainly because it was the the tenth one. So we've been doing this report for a decade now, and uh, by doing the the tenth edition, we also looked back at uh, what changed over the the last decade. And uh, and since we did the the first uh, edition of it. Uh, both the uh, the number of uh, emission testing systems uh, in force, uh, as well as the uh, the global share of uh, emissions under an ETS cap, more than than doubled, uh, and that is uh, you know quite significant and really testifies the the moment uh, that there has been uh, behind the implementation and the, and design of uh, of these systems over the, the last decade and uh, and still now as we see with the with the big uh, pipeline of uh, new systems that we are expecting to see coming online in the coming uh, years uh, so the the big trend number one is definitely the the momentum that uh, that we saw and that we're still seeing uh, behind the ETS design and uh, and implementation second key trend is the uh, the remarkable uh, resilience that uh, most uh, systems worldwide uh, shown to uh, to what uh, was the the first ever uh, global energy crisis as we all know 2022 was quite an eventful uh, year but uh, across the, the board uh, almost all of the emission trading systems uh, did show a great level of uh, resilience and uh, you know if you look at uh, how things played out with the previous crisis from the uh, the covid pandemic but also looking back especially at the 2008 financial crisis Having that kind of uh, resilience in uh, in emission trading systems could not be taken for for granted, and we can really thank the, the implementation of uh, stability measures and uh, reforms that improve the system functioning uh, for the uh, the great resilience that uh, systems have uh, shown. On the back of that, I think the, the third and last uh, thing worth uh, noting, I think, is that uh, prices across most uh, systems remained uh, stable uh, throughout 2022, which again is a sign of uh, great resilience. And uh, they remain stable at relatively high prices because uh, over the years of uh, 2019, 2020, and 2021, we saw uh, quite a lot of uh, gains in, uh, in ETS prices uh, almost across the board. Uh, and so 2022 uh, turned out to be yet another record year for uh, the collection of uh, auctioning revenues. As again, prices stabilized at uh, high levels and uh, auctioning was used in in more and more uh, systems around the world and this is quite uh, significant as we all know because auctioning revenues are quite an important tool that can be you know at disposal of uh, governments or ets regulators to either uh, further advance climate action or to um, protect exports parts of, of the population to uh, high energy prices or uh, unintended effects from uh, from carbon prices 
That's a great high level summary and, um, really nicely illustrates some, some big picture trends. Let's go to the regional picture now. And we're going to again do a little bit of a lightning tour around the world. And, um, and I think we'll start in Europe this year. Um, that's partly because, uh, you know, the European ETS is the longest running system globally. At least I, I think it is. Um, it's been active since 2005. So what were some of the most important developments for the EU ETS this year and for some of its, uh, big Number countries. Yeah, um, and again, we saw a lot uh, happening in uh, in Europe over the, the last uh, few months. I mean, earlier this year, uh, the uh, what is called the, the fifth four fifty five package was uh, finally adopted after a long uh, negotiations uh, process within the, the different European institutions. And that package is the, the single biggest uh, climate package that the, uh, the European Union has ever uh, adopted. It spans a, uh, a lot of different fronts. It's, way, it's much broader than uh, just uh, you know ETS, but uh, it has deep, deep implications for the functioning of, uh, of the EU ETS. So first of all, we have a, uh, a new and more ambitious target for uh, 2030, which aligns the uh, ETS trajectory with the uh, with the eventual you know. 2050 uh, net zero target. Uh, we do now have plans to uh, to launch uh, a second separate ETS that will cover um, the sectors of uh, uh, road transport and the fuels used for um, heating in in buildings. Um, we will have the inclusion of the maritime sector in the uh, in the first uh, ETS and uh, something that uh, you know caught quite a lot of uh, headlines around the world. We also we will also see the, the implementation of uh, CBAM, uh, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, as a way to protect uh, competitiveness of uh, you know European producers vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, third-party uh, competitors. And uh, again, this is a uh, the first time ever that uh, an instrument like that uh, will be uh, designed and, uh, and implemented in conjunction with the carbon pricing policy. It's going to be fascinating to watch how that evolves, and and some colleagues of of mine at RFF have have done some work on the CBAM. Um, it's such a fascinating topic. I, I wish we could talk more about Europe, but there's so much uh, more to talk about in other parts of the world. So let's uh, let's jump over to Asia, where you know China has uh, the the largest ETS, I, I believe, in the world in terms of emissions covered. So can you give us an update on what's happening in China, and, and in particular how the economic slowdown it's experienced? has affected uh, the national and um, sort of city-level pilot programs, if, if at all. Yeah, sure. And um, as you pointed out, China is at the moment the, the largest uh, emission trading systems in, in operation. If you look at uh, you know, the size of, of the cap or the size of, uh, of emissions uh, covered and uh, has been in operation for two years now. It was launched uh, all the way back in 2021 in the middle of, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, and when you know, China was first starting to, to see that uh, economic downturn that uh, um, you pointed out uh, that uh, you know hasn't really slowed down plans for DTS uh, rollout, but it has obviously created uh, um, some additional uh, complexities. Uh, overall, I think you know the, the Chinese DTS is in force, but pretty much still on um, in a pilot mode, so to speak, meaning that uh, it is trying to find the, the right footing to to move uh, forward. And uh, you know, if you think about the, the sheer size of uh, of the system and uh, you know the sheer size of uh, the Chinese economy, it's not an easy feat to to design and implement such a uh, such a massive uh, system. So. 
what uh, what is happening at the moment is that the system is operating compliance uh, is being enforced but then uh, you know it, the system is also being uh, increasingly and progressively reformed uh, to to make sure that the uh, you know it, it functions in a correct way and that all the uh, the underpinning building blocks are uh, in place and are functioning in a correct way to then you know build onto that uh, in a second phase when uh, the system will be progressively uh, be expanded to to other sectors i think it's worth uh, stressing that at the moment it only covers uh, power generation uh, but yeah it is still in that phase where it's trying to find the right footing to then be you know consolidated and and expanded over time okay got it you know one thing that people wonder about with china sometimes and and i wonder too with the the ets is the degree of transparency uh, in the market how is um that shaping up in terms of transparency of prices and trading and all that stuff it's a good question. I think it's uh, still a bit uh, early to to say because again uh, we are in the uh, in the early days yet, and uh, you know a lot of the um, you know infrastructure around uh, trading around the disclosure of uh, trading data, for example, is still being put in uh, in place. I think uh, you know looking at. Uh, uh, the regional pilot uh, systems in in China could be a uh, a good reference, and there uh, you find uh, both examples of uh, you know relatively sophisticated pilots that uh, trade with a uh, with a good uh, degree of uh, of transparency and can also attract uh, you know foreign uh, investors and foreign traders uh, to the markets, all the way down to to others that are you know way less uh, transparent and and more uh, illiquid. Um, so I think it will be interesting to see which direction the uh, the national uh, system will uh, will take. Again, uh, going back to the previous point, I think you know the, the regulator mind at the moment is uh, mainly busy uh, trying to uh, to make sure that the, the system uh, functions uh, before you know they really open up uh, to uh, foreign traders or before they really open up to to investors to to play in in the market. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, let's move south and west from China to India, which, uh, according to you know uh, demographers, overtook China as the world's most populous country this year. And India is is now planning for its own national uh, ETS. So can you talk a little bit about where India is in its development of its program and you know what we know about it so far? Yeah, um, really interesting uh, example to to look at. So over the uh, the last uh, twelve months or so, um, a lot of things happened, and uh, India is moving forward at at a great uh, pace. I think it is it will be one of uh, of the most interesting uh, countries to look at uh, in the coming months. Um, so India did publish a uh, a blueprint announcing plans to to develop a um, you know what they call uh, a domestic market uh, and uh, and then more details emerged uh, over time. I think uh, it's now clear that uh, the uh, the development of this market will be uh, staggered over um, a few different uh, phases. Whereby, in a first uh, phase, um, a voluntary market will be developed, which will be, you know, supported by a domestic uh, project-based uh, offset uh, mechanism, which is referred to as as the carbon offset mechanism. So, things will start to be set up and be put in place uh, through um, a voluntary market framework, which then, in a second phase, 
is expected to to evolve uh, and morph into a um, a compliance market uh, with you know mandatory participation for regulated entities and more characteristics of uh, an actual you know compliance emission trading systems. So I think there's a uh, interesting potential there, uh, but again, it will be a uh, a phase process, um, and we we'll, yeah we'll have to see how things move uh, forward. Right. Do we know at this point what sectors um, you know we would expect to see covered? For example, are you know the the voluntary market? Are we talking mostly about like forestry related projects? Are we talking about energy projects? And then once we get into the compliance phase, are we talking about the electricity sector? Are we talking about industry? Do we know any of those details yet? Um, not uh, formally, uh, but you know, the uh, for example, the the voluntary market uh, phase will be built on the back of an existing um, mechanism that uh, is basically uh, an energy efficiency uh, certification mechanism that uh, does work in the uh, you know in the energy sector, so to speak, so across the uh, um, the power sector and uh, industry. So I think you know that can be expected the, uh, to be the, the bulk of uh, of the new uh, system, uh, but then I think you know once they uh, once they put that in place, I think it uh, it can also be expected that they will go broader than that and and possibly uh, branch out to to other sectors uh, as well. Hmm. Very interesting. So lot to lot to watch certainly in India and, and China and um, and elsewhere, of course. But uh, but those are two of the most really dynamic, I think, um, elements. So, um, you know, another place where uh, ETS uh, programs are, are under consideration is uh, is Nigeria, uh, which I was really interested to see on the map. Nigeria, of course, Africa's most populous nation by a long shot, and um, uh, really fascinating to see them looking into an ETS as well. Can you give us a sense similar to India, you know, like where are they in the process, what sectors we might expect to be covered, and and how ambitious you think policymakers might be in terms of the cap and its trajectory? Yeah, and um, that's quite an exciting development. I mean, as you, as you pointed out, for the first time uh, this year, um, Africa got, uh, you know, colored up in the uh, in DTS map, which is, uh, you know, a really welcome uh, development. Um, we do not have a, uh, a massive amount of uh, details at, at the moment. There was an announcement at, uh, at the last uh, COP in, uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, from you know high-level representatives from Nigeria that uh, announced the plans for the development of uh, of a carbon market and uh, an emission trading mechanism, uh, and I think you know details are being worked out uh, as we speak basically, and I would expect uh, more bits and pieces of information to to emerge over the, the coming months. If you ask me, like my guess would be that uh, Nigeria is also maybe like a bit similarly to, to India, I think it's also quite likely to, to be mixing some elements of, uh, you know, a crediting mechanism uh, with possibly also some uh, elements of, uh, of a compliance uh, emission trading system. You know, I don't think it's realistic to expect uh, uh, developing countries in, in general uh, to, to be going for, you know, an EU ETS uh, Blueprint for a um, for 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 what they would do domestically, but I think they're they're likely to look at uh, hybrid forms of uh, carbon markets and carbon pricing that uh, mix elements of uh, compliance systems with with, with elements of uh, of voluntary market uh, mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting. And you know, one one question that I've been wondering about 
as we've been talking about the um, the voluntary markets, which which you know another way to think about this is you know uh, private sector actors purchasing uh, carbon offsets is certainly one big piece of a voluntary market. And I think there's a lot of skepticism out there about offsets, and I think there's some some good justification for that, at least in, in some historical examples. What do you sort of see in terms of the reliability of offsets in voluntary carbon markets moving forward? Do you think we're sort of globally making progress on developing better and more reliable additional offsets? Or is there still you know, risk that um, there are going to be offset projects stood up and paid for that don't really reduce emissions? Yeah, um, it's a really good point, and I think we, uh, you know, we are making progress, but there are still obviously some uh, issues with uh, at least some parts of uh, of the voluntary market uh, instruments uh, right uh, right now. I think you know it's uh, it is objectively uh, a really challenging uh, effort to basically figure out in the first place what it means for uh, the voluntary market to be you know Paris aligned or Paris uh, compatible and. Uh, I think it's also quite normal that uh, there are some uh, pain points in in the way, but I'm quite hopeful that uh, you know progress uh, is being made, and there are you know initiatives out there that are trying to uh, come up with uh, quality criteria or at least with uh, you know share the standards and uh, and benchmarks for how the, the voluntary market and voluntary market instruments can can operate in uh, you know in a Paris uh, world, and I think we are likely to see uh, an increasing level of uh, scrutiny, which will bring also uh, an, an increased level of uh, quality and integrity to the voluntary market uh, going uh, going forward. And I think, you know, obviously the, the heavy lifting will still lie with the, with the compliance markets, but uh, voluntary markets can play an important role in, uh, in complementing what uh, is happening on, uh, on the compliance side. Right, and it, and it's it is very helpful that we now have you know better technologies to be able to do monitoring and verification things like satellite based technologies and and other tools. I think probably be really useful in that context. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that also for sure. I mean, uh, again, I think we we are making progress on uh, on a few different uh, fronts, all the way uh, from you know the governance uh, aspects of it. All the way down to you know the uh, the enabling technologies that are making the uh, the market uh, function. So again, I think uh, it's not an easy process, but we can be hopeful that uh, we'll we'll land in a uh, in a good place with that. Yeah, certainly, certainly hope so. Um, let's move further west, uh, all the way west, um, at least on the map to uh, to the Americas uh, and particular North America, of course, where RFF is is based and where many of our listeners are. Um, so in North America, one of the exciting developments this year is that uh, the states of Oregon and Washington State are now up and running with their ETSs. Um, can you give us a little bit of an overview of those programs? Yeah, sure. And uh, again, also exciting developments in, uh, in this context. Um, here you can really see how, you know, in the United States at, uh, at the state level, Things are happening on um, on the carbon pricing uh, front that uh, you know basically make up for the uh, for the federal level action on uh, on explicit uh, carbon pricing. Obviously, the the outlook for uh, climate policies with the current administration is much much more positive than with the with the previous one. But again, uh, carbon pricing is still not a uh, an easy topic for uh, a federal level discussion. So you can really see how. 
uh, some states and an increasing number of states are moving forward with uh, with state level action on on carbon pricing. I mean, if you look at uh, DTS map on uh, on our report, basically all of the West Coast is uh, colored out. And again, we'll get to this in a second, but that is thanks to the addition of uh, Washington in 2023 and Oregon in 2022 on top of uh, the Californian program, which has been around for more than a decade now. And also the, uh, the East Coast is uh, progressively being uh, colored out as, uh, you know, we also have uh, states and programs that operate on, on that front. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, both the, the Washington state program and the, the Oregon uh, state program are quite interesting. Um, the, uh, the Oregon one is interesting because they went for the model of uh, having a, uh, an upstream uh, emission trading system that uh, applies to uh, fuel uh, distributors. And, uh, and, and by, that, you know, by doing that, you, uh, you create a, um, a carbon price signal that then is passed down to uh, the end user of, of these products. So they, uh, they really cover just a handful of uh, fuel distributors. But by doing that, uh, they capture almost uh, 50% of the state uh, emission. And uh, Washington is interesting because it was a um, explicitly developed uh, with a, um, so to speak, with a linking ready uh, model that uh, not uh, by default and not by automatically, but relatively with a, with a low level of effort, will make the program uh, compatible for linking with uh, the, uh, the California cap and trade program, for example, uh, or uh, jointly uh, with, the, uh, with the California cap and trade program and uh, the Quebec cap and trade program, which are already interlinked with, with each other. So there you can really see a prospects of uh, how, you know, as, as soon as the, the system is uh, up and running, it will uh, go and, uh, and link uh, with, with other systems to create a, uh, a larger uh, joint system, as it's already the case again with, with California and, uh, and Quebec. So quite exciting uh, developments uh, there. Yeah, it is really interesting to see the sort of bottom-up evolution of uh, carbon markets in, in the United States. And um, I'm particularly excited to see that North Carolina is on the map because I grew up in North Carolina and it would be cool to see it get it shaded all the way into the blue uh, to be fully active in a carbon market in the years ahead. Uh, but then again, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, so uh, one last question, uh, Stefano, before we go to our top of the stack segment, which is um, just looking forward a little bit. So as you survey the markets uh, and look ahead to you know the rest of this year and into 2024, what are some of the um, you know key topics that are on your mind that, that you're going to be watching? So, I mean, first of all, I think it, uh, it will be interesting to, uh, you know, keep an eye on uh, what will happen uh, next in, uh, in the ETS uh, space and, you know, more specifically, which will be the, the new systems that will, that will come on, online. As I pointed out earlier, there are a lot of uh, systems either under development or under consideration at the moment. And, uh, and this is especially true in, uh, you know, some of, uh, of the European neighboring countries, such as uh, Turkey, which is, uh, you know, which is really moving towards the, the launch of, a, uh, of an ETS, as well as in, um, in the Asia-Pacific and in, uh, in Latin America. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the, um, the status report again uh, next year to, to find out uh, which systems will have, uh, you know, started to operate by, by then. 
Uh, and then topic-wise, I think, uh, you know, uh, some of the key topics that uh, will characterize the, the coming months and uh, years in the uh, ETS space will be alignment with the net zero targets, um, which will be, you know, a really important topic for all of the jurisdictions that are operating a uh, an emission trading system at the moment. The second topic will be around uh, sector expansion. So again, uh, systems expanding to, to cover um, an increasing amount of uh, emissions in more and more uh, sectors, which is a uh, an active trend that we are seeing uh, in many systems uh, already. Uh, and last but not least, going back to the to the question you were raising, I think there is a um, a really uh, important discussion around the, the interplay between uh, compliance and voluntary carbon market instruments and uh, in understanding how the two things can uh, complement each other and go hand in hand, uh, especially because, uh, again, the, uh, the lines between the two are, are, are becoming increasingly uh, blurry to, to some extent. And also, and especially because an increasing number of uh, countries around the world are looking at uh, implementing or taking advantage of uh, both uh, things at the same time. So that will become uh, a more important topic as we go forward. There is there is so much to watch and um, so many places to to do the watching, uh, which is why this this report is is so valuable and um, and useful in its succinctness and and I'm always impressed, uh, Stefano, by your ability to summarize so much information in such a short period of time. So congratulations again on on the report, uh, the tenth year of the report, uh, and thanks for for helping us understand it. So now um, let's go to the last question we ask all of our guests, which is uh, asking you to recommend something that you've read or watched or heard that's related to the environment, even if it's just a little bit related, uh, that you think is really great and that you think our audience might enjoy. So what's at the top of your uh, literal or your metaphorical reading stack, Stefano? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And um, I mean, as a, as a quick disclaimer, I uh, I will say that, uh, you know, when it comes to, to reading, I, I do tend to, to prioritize uh, leisure uh, reading uh, over uh, work-related uh, ones. So I might not be super up to, to date, but like um, a couple of books that uh, caught my attention uh, lately are uh, a book called uh, The New Map, uh, Energy, Climate and, uh, and the Clash of Nations, which uh, I think does a... Um, an interesting job at uh, you know describing the uh, the geopolitics uh, aspects of uh, the energy and uh, and climate discussion it's quite interesting because it uh, you know it came out before the uh, the russian invasion uh, to ukraine but it already anticipated some of uh, you know the bigger geopolitical uh, matters that uh, are playing a role in uh, in shaping the um, the current uh, political uh, landscape. So it's quite interesting. And uh, I also finally got around to uh, reading the uh, the Ministry for the Future, which I'm sure that uh, you know a lot of uh, listeners will be. Um, will be familiar with or will have uh, heard about, but, uh, and I, I'm, I'm still going through it, but I do find it a, uh, quite an entertaining uh, read. It's, uh, it's nice to see, you know, what we, uh, what we work day to day being uh, translated into a, um, a novel or like a fictional uh, book, which can be uh, a bit uh, daunting at, at times, but it also provides uh, nice opportunities for, you know, reflecting how, these things can be seen in in perspective, and what are the, the broader implications of uh, of our work? So yeah, I'm 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 enjoying my my read there. 
Really interesting. And and your definition of, of leisure reading is is pretty impressive. Those are both two very large, very heavy books. Uh, Dan Jurgen's uh, The New Map and Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Ministry for the Future. We actually interviewed uh, Kim Stanley Robinson on the show about a year and a half ago. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. So that was pretty fascinating. And I, I think I spotted a, um, a reference to, to one of your books in uh, in The New Map in case you, uh, you didn't realize yeah, I actually did know that. Yeah, it was kind of pr- definitely an honor to to be cited by by Dan Jurgen. Yeah, so cool. congratulations for for that. Thanks, Stefano, and thank you again for coming on the show and helping us understand carbon markets around the world. It's been a, a fascinating discussion. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. And again, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to coming back next year if you want to have us uh, back. Oh yeah, we'd love to do it next year again. So uh, so we'll look forward to that too. Perfect. Thank you. You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future, or RFF. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Raby. Join us next week for another episode.